Good. Well, we're going to look at John chapter 15 this morning. Again, for Gina, she just heard me teach on this over the weekend, but I feel like there's a real fresh anointing on it. And a really important word for us that was confirmed uh, several times through all the words, in particular Catherine with her emphasis on connecting with the Lord, but really what everybody was saying, Joshua, that was awesome. So praise God. Is that good? That's something wrong. Okay. So in John 15, Jesus talks about abiding in the vine. He's the true vine. We're going to look at that in a moment. Uh, but I want to. You know what? You know what? Let's let's do this. Let's stand together. And I see Rochelle. You have cadence. I could just get somebody on the keyboard. Gina, just give me. Chords that are easy to, you know, an easy range for people to sing to. Let's stand together and let's take a few moments and connect spirit to spirit with the Lord and just sing the spirit. Let's just do that. Just connect with God. Just lift your voice. Let's make a beautiful sound. And practice his presence right now. And let's interrupt our worship meeting some more worship. And really do it. Really do it with quality. Connect with the Lord. Make a willful choice. Dig in. Dig through like Joshua was saying. Let's just connect spirit to spirit with the Lord. Lord, you are beautiful. Your character is awesome to us. Your eyes shine like fire. There's no one like you. nothing like you. King Jesus, you were the one through whom the Father created all things, and you sustain all things and carry them along according to Father's purpose, by the word of your power. We bless your name. Our hearts are becoming conditioned by the joyful fear of the Lord and by your presence. We submit to you in your glorious dominion that will never pass away. You are the Son of Man and the Lamb of God. You are the living Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the true vine. Your Father is the vine dresser. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us in a fresh way and by the power of the Spirit. Even in these moments, connect with us, we pray, on a whole new level. And help us, Lord, help us by your grace to connect with you on a new level. Change our lives. Open up mysteries to us that we've never seen or heard, Lord, even if we have heard them with our natural ears. May they be a whole new experience deep in our spirit. 
Our Father in heaven, you are the vine dresser. Walk around us this morning and prune the branches of the vine. We pray, work with us. Conduct your business, your family business in our midst, that we might be branches connected to the vine, bearing much fruit. Oh, by your spirit and according to your will, your plan for us, your purposes in history. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God. Amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. We're speaking, I'm going to teach today from John chapter 15, where Jesus gives a very, very important teaching and lays out an important image about connecting with Him, about relationship with Him. That image, of course, is that of, a, a, in a sense, a vineyard because the Father's the vine dresser and He's taking care of the vineyard. But especially there's a vine in the midst of this, a big, thick vine, and Jesus is that vine and we're the branches. And on a certain level, you could just pass through this writing and it's just, you know, Jesus talking about abiding and, you know, typical spiritual talk and he gives a parable and, and, and you know, it, it could be overly familiar to us. But I feel like this passage is one of the most crucial, crucial passages in John's Gospel and in all the Bible because it teaches and encourages a connection with the Lord that is life itself. It's fundamental to everything else we do. That we can abide in Him. Precious few Christians abide. I mean, Jesus gave this teaching at a very strategic location. He just laid the hammer down. This is it. This is the Last Supper. I'm giving you an example and washing your feet. And then, you know, he, the, the betrayer is sent into the night. So it's all coming down now. And this is a teaching that he knows is a deposit of the utmost importance for after his resurrection, because the nature of life with Jesus is going to change after he rises from the dead and sends the spirit that he promises right in these passages in the thick of the teaching where we are today. We'll look at a particular passage, but in the larger context, he's teaching on the Spirit and his presence in a very surprising way to them. So this teaching was strategic and it was of the utmost importance, uh, it was of the utmost importance for his disciples, but also for us because it's foundational to everything else that happens in our lives. For us to be true Christians, anointed of God, with the touch of God on our lives so that we smack of God's presence. It's real. Very unfortunately, precious few believers abide. Precious few. And yet, it's the one thing we should be doing. That should be the highest priority, if you even want to put it that way. Like that breath was important and that breath was important. I mean, breathing in oxygen, you know, letting the, the little capillaries in your lung sacs draw the oxygen out and then dispersing with, the, you know, what can't be used, what carbon dioxide is in that, right? And then breathing it in again. That's fairly important for life. You know, it's not something that's like, okay, <laughs> you haven't been breathing for like weeks. You know, you got to breathe. 
it's, it's important that we take in oxygen. It's important that we take in nutrients. Very similar image that we used last time when we talked from John 4 about worship. John 15 is about worship that is life itself. Abiding is the breath of worship. It's the most important dimension of worship. And yet, like I said, precious, too few Christians actually do it. Which is why, if, if you don't mind me saying this, which is why most churches have to be spiritual in other outward ways. Because the reality of God's glory is not flowing the way He intended it to flow through His people when they're gathered and then when they're living their lives out in the world and then gathering together again and just having a life that's divine rather than having to systematize and formalize and make everything image-based because we lack that, the, the, a fruit that really comes out of life. I'm not saying there's this, you know, that we're all in this, you know, this doomed lack of spirituality. I, I don't mean to sound that negative. But overall, in terms of what Jesus intended for us, we have to substitute the reality of the divine life that comes from abiding and the fruit that comes out of that abiding. We have to substitute other things for those things and then market ourselves in order to have kingdom success. And we here are just not going to build that way. There's... Well, I won't, I won't say it that way. We're just, that's just not our intention. We want to be alive. And we already are alive, so we don't just want to be alive. We want to live. And produce the divine fruit that comes out of living connected to Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. And we all do that to a degree. But we need a deeper degree. It's a real mark of maturity to be a person who abides in the Lord. And then a people whose whole church life is community and then mission 100% depends on our connectivity to Jesus and what comes out of that. I mean, Jesus is alive. He's real. He, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. He's got a lot of ideas that are breathed by God. You see, we don't have to busy ourselves with just thinking about what, what we want to do. If we just tapped into Him, we would probably be gloriously overwhelmed with wisdom, with knowledge, with forward motion, with commands, with healings. And we have these things to a degree, but He is about His Father's business. And when we're connected with Him, when we're connected to Him, we're partnered with Him, which is part of what Joshua's prophecy was getting at. There's a, there's a wind blowing and there's a partnership that he's trying to get us into. And the secret right here is in the abiding. When we abide in him, man, we're connected to King Jesus himself. Instead of treating him like the elephant in the room, he becomes the life and energy source of everything we do. From raising our children to worshiping when we're assembled, to be missionizing in our workplaces, to knowing how to pray when we pray. I mean, you name it, Jesus is Lord of that. And he wants to be actively, dynamically, and practically the Lord of that in the details of our life. So how do we get him to be? We connect with him, we abide. This is why he gave this teaching. It's extraordinary that he would use these words. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. It's, it's surprising, it's remarkable. Abiding in Jesus is the most crucial form 
of worship. Those who are developed in the Lord and care to be developed are those that develop what sometimes is a very challenging habit which turns into an addiction and then turns into a lifestyle that there is no such thing as life for this person who's so developed. They are so utterly and absolutely dependent that they can't even fathom or countenance life on any level except just Jesus. And I'm not talking about some flaky person who just talks about it. I'm talking about someone who is doing it from from the habit to the addiction until it's just the breath of life. It doesn't come automatically, or, or he wouldn't tell us, abide. Which is the irony of this teaching. Normally, you don't have to tell a branch to abide in its vine. The way God made it, it happens naturally. But Jesus mixes the metaphor. He uses a natural metaphor. A vine will naturally have branches, and they're you know, unless something disrupts the process, you know, kids go by and play with it or, you know, someone rips off the branches or whatever. Unless something happens, of course they're going to abide. It's just the way God made it. But with us, it's both the way God made it and something that we consciously partner with, which is a privilege because God has allowed us to partner with him in, in a natural aspect of creation that is branches abiding in a vine, which would normally be automatic. For us, we have to steward that and we have to participate. And it's a privilege to do so. It's a privilege to actually have a part in the success of Jesus in the nation. What would be natural out in the natural world of a grapevine with branches, for us, we actually have to participate. We could be branches of that vine and not abide if we so inclined ourselves, if we didn't want to. Or if we just neglected abiding, we could in fact not abide when we naturally should be. That's the risk that God is taking with us in a sense. In the end, he'll succeed, of course. But there's a risk that we could perhaps not participate in what he's giving us so much grace to do. So it's the mature who are urgent about abiding in the sense of they see the loftiness of its importance. They see that it's as core to life as breathing, eating, and drinking, and even socially interacting with people. Just as important as those things are in the Spirit, it more so, abiding in Jesus Christ is life itself. This was not some light teaching that he had to fill in with some red ink on his way from John 12 to the end when he's going to die and then rise. This, this, was, this is hinge teaching. This is crucial. The magnifying grass, grass, glass is on it. And think, our lives hinge on these verses. So I'm saying this is fairly important. And I feel like I have the confirmation of the Spirit. I did throughout the week, even as I was praying about what to teach where I was in Georgia last weekend, when the Lord dropped this passage into my heart, he says, this is, I'm giving you this for the king's people. You can teach it here too. This was for them. So I want you to teach it here also. And it was, we had a great night. I mean, people were healed at the end of the, you know, people seem to be engaged. But I feel like this is going to be a, a, a practical strategy for us. There is an urgency to it. And for those of us who take it urgently, that means we see its importance. 
and therefore we invest ourselves in abiding, that will yield spiritual maturity and a quality about who we are that there's no sense existing if we don't have it. I mean, I don't want to over-idealize it. We're always growing. But we at least want to be in the flow and the process of valuing Jesus himself and recognizing practically that connecting with him is life. And if we don't have that, nothing else matters. Why bother? And that's my attitude. I, I can be a part of, I mean, not that I think this can happen, but I can, I, we can do church some other way. But I want to be urgent about really Jesus animating us in everything we are. And I just feel the fear of the Lord when I say that. So on the one hand, the cost is everything. And on the other hand, it's like Jesus being in our midst. Head and shoulders just rising in the midst of our assemblies. And being one of the members of our community. That's wonderfully scary to me. Not because I'm afraid of him, but just he's Jesus, he's king. He's God. And Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that there would be a move of the Spirit in the hearts of those churches to which Paul was writing there, those churches in Asia Minor, different congregations, named after the Ephesian city, but there were others probably involved there. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened in the inner man, by the power of God's Spirit. And for what reason? So that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. So the, the Jesus who was already technically theologically abiding, he still prayed that he'd abide all the more. That's in Christians who already had his presence. And in order for there to be more dwelling of Jesus in their midst, he prayed the first prayer, uh, I pray that you'd be strengthened in the inner man, because this is going to take a lot of heart for King Jesus to be himself in your midst. It's going to take a lot of heart. It's going to take a lot of life change, a lot of covenant, a lot of yielding, a lot of letting Jesus be king that just your normal run-of-the-mill Christian would probably not be ready for. So before I pray that he would just dwell like the fiery presence of the temple in your hearts, I first pray that there'd be a sweeping move of the Spirit to strengthen you in the inner man so that your temple can handle a king who doesn't just visit, but lives there. That is why there's some trepidation in me as I speak these things, because I feel the gravity of it. What I'm after is not some new, neat thing, a new way of doing church. We're going to be a little bit more homey. We're going to have home groups. It's much larger than that. It's, it's, it's designing a wineskin that's more conducive to the glory of Jesus, like a liquid presence, like wine that moves and it expands. It's alive. It's living. It's the product of this vine. And therefore, the, the wineskin has to stretch with it and be alive itself to mix the metaphor. Amen. Amen. Should I close in prayer or should I continue on? I'll continue on. So let's, let's read a little bit of the passage and then come back to it more fully. I'll read all the way to um, the first 12 verses. I think I will just read the passage to begin with and then we'll refer back. John 15, beginning with verse 1. Jesus, of course, is still speaking. 
Jesus is right, right on the heels of Judas going into the night for his betrayal. Jesus is downloading all this teaching. And um, anyway, John 15, 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Or literally, the word there is he cleanses it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already cleansed because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. And so, prove to be my disciples. I still have a few verses to read, but I just have to give pause for effect there. That is such rich language. Jesus is a sword. He cuts it. The finest line where no human can see between soul and spirit. You cannot prove that you're my disciple unless you have supernatural fruit-bearing power. And that only comes from me. You could fake anybody else, Jesus is saying, but you cannot fake me out. Divine life is divine life. You cannot conjure it up. Magically, you cannot work it up by having your systems in place, though all those things may help manage. But you can't do this except by the, the fruit-bearing power of God. And you can fake those people, he's saying, but you won't be able to fake me, and you won't fake my prophets out. The Spirit knows. So this is how my Father is glorified. He's, it's, a, it's an extremely narrow area, yet when you're in that narrow area, and you're breathing that rarefied air, it's as expansive as a million universes. We are free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And the sky's the limit. And the depths of the ocean aren't deep enough to handle the life that could be pouring out of you. But there's only one way. It's like the Jesus people. One way. Jesus. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment. 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. Lord, we pray for your blessing and presence to make this real. Reveal yourself. We pray that we would smell the very fragrance of the Messiah, the Christ in our midst. And that the, the, the incense of his burning presence would get inside of us and change us. We pray that we would taste the sweetness of his fruit. We pray that we would, we would understand deep in our spirit, by your spirit, what it means to abide. We pray for your inspiration. We pray for your encouragement. We pray for practical ways take the pick that Joshua prophetically spoke to us and to dig into the soil, into the dirt, the rock, the gravel, whatever is there, and to recap it in you, which we already have access to. That's the irony of it. So Lord, give us grace. Amen. If we don't live in tension, we don't know Jesus. And when I say tension, I don't mean tense relationships, tension in your heart. You should be free of those things. But there's two truths always at tension with one another in God's kingdom. The already of the kingdom and the not yet. The fact that we're already alive and he already abides in us, yet we have to abide in him or we're missing something. There's teaching today that just freaks out because they don't know how to live in the tension. It's like you either don't have it, you've got to work up for everything, or you do have it, you don't have to do nothing. You do nothing. And so it's like we're always swinging back and forth because we just refuse to grow up. We have to have everything explained and experienced. and We have to be off the hook. Completely off the hook so we're not obligated for anything or we're only obligated so that we become legalistic. The fact of the matter is, we already have the presence of God by grace. He's already abiding in us and, and, and we are abiding in Him. Amen. And yet, we are called to abide in Him or we won't bear fruit. On, in, in one sense, it's automatic and natural and we should be at rest. On the other sense, we're exhorted to join in because it's not automatic. That's the tension we have to live in. So, Jesus calls himself the true vine. Let's begin with this. Let's talk about how Jesus is the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. It's his last I am statement of John's gospel and the only one where he brings in a companion to his I am statement. And that's the Father. Now, he talks about the Father a lot, but this is the only time he brings the Father into an I am statement. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So this is, this is important material about God. It teaches us, it gives us a parable about what God is like and who he's like. This idea of this vine is, is uh, it's an Old Testament image. It's actually very typical of Jesus' day among Greeks, Jews, whoever. I mean, everybody used this image. Uh, it, was, it was common. So it's, it's probably smartest to put this against the background of the Old Testament. God called his people a vine. You know, Psalm 80 refers to God pulling the vine out of Egypt and clearing out the nations in the land and therefore clearing the way to, to replant this vine and putting it in the land of Israel. And then it spread and it put the shadow of its branches over all the mountains and filled it with its fruit. Until after a while, it started to bear worthless fruit. And so, there's that complaint then on the same image. In Psalm 80, the psalmist is asking, why are you doing this? Then over in Isaiah 5, the famous song of the vineyard, where the beloved is sung about by the prophet, the replanting of the vineyard doesn't work. Because he expected them to bear good fruit and good grapes, for the nations, but in fact they were sour, worthless, 
bad grades. Well, of course, we know why now from this passage. They weren't abiding. They were committing idolatry. They were worshiping other gods. They didn't connect with the Lord in whatever Old Testament fashion was given to them to do so. So they bore worthless fruit. Now Jesus is saying, okay, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine now. Not Israel. Now Israel must connect with me. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. You have to connect with me. So he's re-identifying. He's refreshing his old covenant people. He's making them his new covenant people. And then other branches from the nations are grafted in. That's why he uses this image of the vine. Also, he's using this image because he's surprising the disciples in the way his kingdom is now going to operate. It is clear to them now that he is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. So what are they expecting? They're expecting him to enter Jerusalem to obtain the agreement of the elders, the Sadducees, the key Pharisees, scribes, and connect with these guys and establish his hierarchy in Jerusalem, gather his army, supernaturally take control of the land of Israel and the Roman Empire, restoring the golden uh, uh, era of David's kingdom and, and ruling. This is why John and James' mom wanted them to rule right on the right and the left, because it's like you're about to come in and take David's throne and sit politically, and we want in on that. We want to be right there. We want to be your lieutenants, your chiefs. And the, the way Jesus is going to bring the kingdom, now one day that's going to happen. And in a sense, there, that kingdom is now here. But it's not politically manifest yet. So there's going to be this, what amounts to now at least a couple of millennia time, when the kingdom isn't going to look like that yet. It's going to look like something else. It's going to look like a people who have Jesus abiding in them in a hostile world just the way Jesus was in this world with the Father abiding in him. He said, you're going to carry that legacy on for a while. We're not going to take over politically yet. Instead, you're going to get Holy Spirit. And this is just this is difficult for them to register at this point. That's why he said, look, the Holy Spirit will explain it more to you after I'm gone. Look, don't go, Lord. I have to go. You won't get the Holy Spirit. See, you don't understand. I'm not just going to sit here on the throne on your world and just take over without attending to the hearts of people. I want a different kind of mission. So what I have to explain to you is, I'm going to be with you in spirit. And to them, that's like, what? I mean, there's some precedent of that, sure. There's hints of it in the Old Testament and the prophets and communing with God, but that this would be the thing for a while was new news. Jesus is going to be raised from the dead physically glorified on a throne in the heavens, physically at the right hand of God, but would pour out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, on and in his people so that he's with them through an invisible spirit, but very literally with them. And that person in the heavens is somehow like the sun emanating this spirit life in us, and that's the way he's abiding with us right now. It's just a little odd to our natural minds. But it is his way. So he's setting them up and preparing them for that time. When it's like, I'm going to be with you and inside your body. You're like, what now? You're going to be in a palace in Jerusalem? Yeah, yeah I'm going to be in heaven. But I'm going to be in your body and in your heart. Like, like literally by the Holy Spirit. 
just as present as I am here in my body, I'm going to be inside you by the Holy Spirit. I will be with you and in you. So I'm trying to help you for that day. I want to teach you how to relate to me. Abide in me. It's not going to be just like the real thing is when I'm on earth and then after I leave you can go you know, for 2,000 years and just be some highfalutin church religion wearing robes. No, this is, this is real. My presence, I myself will be inside of you. Learn to connect with me. It's powerful teaching he's giving. For us, we're so used to hearing it, we don't hear the edge to it, and so we lose the urgency. Jesus is in our midst, if not as much, perhaps more so than if he were physically attending our services. And he's asking us to take that seriously. So serious... What I mean by that is that it's true. We, not, we don't have to be somber serious. We can be happy serious, but you know what I mean by taking it seriously. Like it's real to us that we would invest our lives in abiding in him. So he's preaching the gospel to them. He's explaining the nature of the new covenant. I'm going to live inside you. It's going to be real. You have to learn to relate to my unusual presence that way. It's not going to be like I'm just one of your pals. That's easy. You see, there they are, you see them, or like if you were to come to me as the king in Jerusalem, Lord, what is your will for me today? Okay, I will go travel over there and I will bring your kingdom there, all that village. Now, this is, this is going to be different. This is going to be odd. I'm going to be with you all the time, but you have to relate to me. This is what some of the modern grace teachers miss. They, they don't teach that there is an obligation to relate to the one who's already inside of us. So there's this huge chasm, because they're just celebrating what they already have. That's like dancing around the car in your garage. Look, yay! And they're dancing. Look, the joy of the car. Then they go back inside and whatever, they watch TV. Where there's people like Bill Brown are going to get in that thing and and drive it. Jesus is like, I'm there more than I'm here physically. I'm going to be with you in spirit. I personally believe there is physical spirit substance that we have inside of us. But because it's not of this realm, you don't always feel it, but it's there. It's substantial. It's tangible. John called it the anointing in 1 John. And it's real. And so Jesus is saying, you have to consciously and deliberately relate to my presence in that spirit form. And that will make you strong of heart. Because you will lay spiritual eyes on him upon whom natural eyes cannot be laid right now But it's just as real. He says, to your advantage, I go away. You have to learn the secret of me abiding in you. Therefore, you, well, yeah, you have to learn the secret of my abiding in you by spirit so that you will be inclined to abide with me. Dig what I'm saying? The glorified Jesus Christ is physically in heaven, but we experience even his physical body, in a sense, through the spirit of God that emanates from his physical man. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just telling you what I believe this passage is teaching and what it implies. That means that his presence is with us. The same exact man of the Gospels, with the same intentions, the same teachings, the same power to love, to heal, that same man is with us by his Spirit. And he talks later about abiding, or his words abiding in us, so I'll get to that, but I'll give you a little hint. The, the, we can read the Gospels as a living 
breathing set of documents now because that's the activity of Jesus in our midst. If we'll connect with him, we find him doing the same things in our midst as he is in the four Gospels. But if we're abiding in him, then we're connecting with that activity and then we're copying it. And it's actually happened. Same Jesus, same words, same activities, but now happening through his people. That is, if we abide. Jesus says, if you don't, I'll just pluck you off and you'll be burnt. You see where I'm going with this? So this vine image gives us all of this. It helps Jesus with the simplest of metaphors to teach us this spiritual reality. It's not first a politically set up kingdom where we just relate to him the same way we relate to one another socially. Friendships, marriage, where it's, it's all it's clear to our natural eyes. He's saying, I'm doing something in the spirit just as real. And you have to learn to relate to it. And that's for the mature. That's the Old Testament made things so vis- visible and physical. Now, all that is spiritualized, but for the Lord, the spiritual is just as real. How do I connect with that? Why? It's happened. The way Jesus lived his life, 99% of Jesus' life was the iceberg under the surface, connecting with the Father God of the heavens who was abiding inside of him. And then we saw that the tip of the iceberg and look at how powerful that tip was. He says, if you'll, if you'll find, if you'll believe, if you'll believe this same secret about me in you, the way the Father was in me, you will bear fruit the way I do. It's a glorious promise. Uh, another thing this vine means is that Christ is our life. Christ is central. Amen. Amen. May we be the Jesus people. May we be Jesus-centered. Jesus be the center. For real. I mean, Jesus, just be the substance of our lives now. Be the fire in my heart, the wind in in my sails. Be the reason that I live. Jesus, be my hope, be my song. Jesus, Jesus, okay? It's not just confessing he's Lord. It's saying, Lord, be the substance of my life. Where are the Jesus people? That's what this teaching on abiding is asking. That's what it's encouraging. Where are these people who drip with the presence? And it's not, they're not just bragging about it. They don't, they don't even realize it half the time. But they have countenance. They have power. They have influence. They have peace. They're fearless. They're full of love. This takes time to develop. We have to develop this in one another. That's one of the reasons why we get together as a family, because you can't develop this outside of a family conference. Conferences will only take you so far. That's why we only have one a month. The rest of it, I mean, we've got to get into the nerve system of one another's lives, so to speak, and speak these things in so that we're actually abiding, digging through. Christ is our life. He's central. Jesus be the center. Therefore, connection with him is life. So we may be alive by the Spirit, but that doesn't mean we're automatically living by the Spirit. We may be alive, but we may not be living. Paul said, if we have life by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, if Jesus were physically here, I mean... Just think of what a fantastic person Jesus was when he was on earth. As as troubling as he was, he was magnetic. 
because he was alive. You could see it in his eyes. There was a welcoming. There was a love. You know, he healed like thousands of people a day. That probably helped people get drawn to him. He was always zigging whenever someone else was zagging. He had no fear toward the religious leaders whatsoever. There was, an, uh, there was even a kind of respect that he mentioned sometimes. But at the same time, he was not afraid to just rip them for all their hypocrisy and point out how they're completely wrong. And he just walked as if he knew God firsthand. And he connected deeply with the poor. I mean, it, it, to, to, it's difficult for us to relate to that, that we have the poor today, but he was in the, like, the, the, the backyard of the Roman Empire, agricultural poor. These people accomplished something if they were survived the day, some of them, let alone have something in their stomach. And Jesus connected with these people. He was a magnificent person. People did not want to leave him, even if it were for the wrong reasons. And he pointed that out. So you just want to hang around me because I fed you bread. Well, that was a reason. It wasn't a good one, but it was a reason. But it was a reason. People wanted to be around him. Even if their desire was superficial, they felt alive in his presence. And it's the same for us in the deepest sense. We feel alive when we're in the presence of King Yeshua. But he's granted us more than that kind of audience that they had physically. He has put himself in a form where his being could actually be woven into the fabric of our being. So if we abide, we always feel alive. And not just in our fickle human emotions feeling alive, I mean feeling on that deeper level. Deep down in the convictional level, we feel alive when we abide. That's the power of this metaphor. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. Abide in me. That's the power of the metaphor. I can't help but think of this when Faith was a little girl. I hope this pertains. It just hit my head. So maybe it's the anointing. She was real little. I don't know, three or something. And we were in the, you know, our nighttime little, whatever it was, we were doing a devotion, probably just chatting and talking, and the kids were in there, and we're giggling and whatever. And Faith suddenly gets this revelation, and she goes, I still picture her face doing this perfectly. It was like it was yesterday. I'll never forget it. Her little beautiful brown face. She goes, you are the parents. We are the kids. We weren't even talking about that. I wasn't explaining family order. It just struck her. And she's always been interested in like who's what roles. She got the revelation. You are the parents. And she pointed herself. We are. And there was that silence. And then, yeah. Okay. It's important we know our role so we know how to act. In it. I am the true vine. You're the branches. Now there's an implication there. Don't act like you're the vine. Like kids shouldn't act like they're the parents. You know, it was real important. When she caught that, it's like, oh, I got, you know, something turned on. She saw, you know, the, who knew what was really going on in there. But she saw the roles and then that helps her manage her little life. How to fit in. What? Okay. Jesus is doing something similar. It's like, don't just say you're the branch, but act like the vine. 
Like you're not so utterly dependent, it's frightening if it weren't for how good God was. You, you have to act like a branch and connect with the vine and need the vine and have that life source flowing. That's not just so that you can be spiritual and, and, and impress people. It's so that you can live. Okay? You are parents. We are kids. He's the true vine. We're the branches. And it really behooves us in the Holy Ghost to act that way. So let me, let me, now let me begin my message. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm well into it. I'm, you're probably really tired of that joke by now. I only have a little tiny bit to go. Just the tiniest, tiniest bit. And I want to pick out just a couple of statements and like their pegs and hang our hats on each one. At the end, even make it more practical, I hope. The first aspect of abiding that we will identify, because I want to identify four things that are in this passage. I think it's the first one is simply the, the, the command in verse 4 to abide. The first thing that we can embrace on how to abide is the fact, okay, in light of this introduction that I gave you that draws out a few implications of the metaphor vine and branches and other spiritual talk. Now, with all that groundwork laid, it helps us to just now say, okay, we got that. What do we do? Well, the first thing Jesus says is, do it. Abide. Incline your heart. Carve out the time. Develop the habit of heart. Abide. And we talked about last time, what's one of the ways we can worship in spirit and truth? One of the ways is that we need to keep it. Remember, the, mature, the spiritually mature they, they go ahead and abide. They don't wait for a conductor to get up and conduct them. Right? The spiritually mature don't wait for every bow to be perfectly tied and in place. They just enter in. They're mature. They're not, you may not do it perfectly every time. You know, kids and issues. But generally speaking, there should be a strength in us that's inclined to worship. It's the same thing with abiding. Just do it. Engage the Lord. Be a person who engages God. We can't bear fruit if we don't. Most of us, we all could use some practical advice. And sometimes just hearing practical advice inspires us. I hope to give you a few ideas at the end to help us develop some habits. But most of us here have the tools. We need the will. We know how to abide. We at least know how to get through the first couple of layers. So let's do it. Jesus said, abide. Powerful. It's like, how do I abide, Bob? Just abide. Great, thanks. You've been doing that for 15 years. Give us more notice. That's what you've been saying. To abide means to remain. It can mean to live in. It can even mean to wait. You get the idea. Abide. It's a powerful word in itself. I, as I have already said, it's the most profound kind of worship. So how do we do it? We simply do it. We abide. Remember what I already said again. It's a mixed metaphor. Normally branches don't have to be told to abide, but we are branches, ironically in God's kingdom, and part of the beauty of voluntary love and worship is that we have our own minds and our own wills. So we are our own person with the power and the ability to do whatever we want. So it's very precious to Jesus if we choose to abide, you see? Even though he commands it, it's still 
there's room for choice because he's not a micromanaging leader. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't tell you what to do. I don't force you to do it. That's not the kind of leader he is. That's not the kind of father he is. So what he does is he says, well, you're worthless in terms of bearing fruit. There's no worth to your fruit without me. So I will command you, abide in me. So another dimension of that simply abiding is to remember that it is a command. Because we are branches that happen to have our own minds and our own wills, oddly, normally branches don't, but these branches do. We are responsible to obey him and to abide. That's what we're responsible to do. We're responsible to steward the internal blaze of his presence by abiding, by connecting to him. It's a glorious reality. It's like having an ever-present wardrobe into Narnia. It's not hit or miss, and then you get a little old, or the professor comes and says, I already tried, you can't get in there. No, it's not like that. It's always there. So Jesus says, take full advantage of it. Steward what you have. It is a command. And the promise is that we would actually know God experientially. So the first thing is to take Jesus' word seriously, abide in me. Secondly, a few verses down. We've already read the passage, so I'll just take you to verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now there's a beautiful promise with that. But the practical point is, one of the ways we abide in Jesus and experience his abiding in us is by letting his words abide in us. Treasure the words of Jesus. One of the great lost treasures of our day among Christians. I remember when I was a new believer, I knew the Bible was important. I would literally fall asleep at night on my knees at the side of my bed with my Bible open. My beginning, the beginning of my journey was this. I had no clue what the Bible was saying. Like, what kind of Lulus wrote this? Who can understand a word? I was a new believer. Now, it's, you see the trajectory now. You know, I've, understanding the Word of God has been very important to me. And not that you have to get a PhD or something, but I even went and got a PhD. So it's just to, at the occasion, the study of history and language that would help me understand what God is saying. Not academic understand what God is saying. That began with, I'd open my Bible and say, I have no clue what this is saying. How can anyone be interested in this? Just to be honest with you. You know, I would, you know, I got better at it, of course, but I, I, I would cry out to God to give me understanding, and I remember just waking up at like 3 a.m. with the lights on in my room, my legs completely asleep, as I'm on my knees at the side of my bed, Bible open, I just crawl in the bed, shut off the light, whatever. I just, I didn't understand what was so terribly interesting about Jesus' parables. I'm sorry to admit this to you. But I was a TV kid. And it had to be flashing, dramatic excitement constantly. Hey, oh, hey, oh, oh, two seconds have gone by, I lost my attention. Oh, thank you. And, you know, just eyes lusting for more, you know, entertainment of some kind. It had to be interesting. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I used to get up early enough to watch Popeye. The cartoon would come on at 6. So I'd be up at 6. Popeye would be over at 6.30. I'd go get ready for school and be on time for school. I mean, I, just, I was a TV kid. I still remember commercials from when I was little, like Staying Alive, the survival game from Milton Bradley. 
Awesome with the marble on the board wins. Okay, your turn, move lever. I've got to block that strategy. I'm out, me too. Uh-oh, I win. I'm the sole survivor. I mean, it's crazy. I remember that. Songs that come out anyway. But I could not understand why people were interested in Jesus talking about four soils and seeds. We, are, we already know this. Seeds grow in soil. What's the excitement? There was fish. There was good fish, bad fish. Like, after a while, I started to realize, well, they weren't infiltrated by a constant demand of their attention where they're being taught by their culture not to be able to, to think. They didn't have that. They didn't have the technology. I'm sure they had their own versions of it, but they, they didn't have this level of it where our minds start to get dependent on someone doing our thinking for us. It's called amusement. Musing is to think. To not think is amusement. I'm not saying that all of that is evil. I'm just saying we have a culture predicated on uh, on stripping away our ability to think so that the media will think for us. And that's exactly some of the convictions that are being preached in our day are based on convictions that have been given them from the media and they've not determined it on their own. But in Jesus' day, when they, 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 life was simple and these were poor people who didn't have anything, Jesus would come around them and he was alive. This young man, vibrant, healthy, with light in his eyes, and begin to explain things like the way the word of God penetrates people's hearts. And they were captivated by it. Because number one, we don't normally get this from anyone. And number two, this man's amazing. He heals sick people. He's in total control. The people that intimidate us don't even move him. And he's in love with us. And he's alive. He's healthy. He always seems to be feasting on some secret delight. And he's taking the time to tell us mysteries of God's kingdom. They didn't want to leave. He was mesmerizing. And now even classical scholars study his words and see this man was a brilliant speaker. He understood how to communicate to people. He's brilliant. He's the first rhetorician. He knew good, wholesome, effective speech. He knows what he's doing. It's remarkable. You see, here's what I'm saying. When the people of the land had a special person like Jesus, and he took the time to speak to them, they cherished his words. They couldn't read or write. But you better believe they nailed his words. This master is speaking to us with vivid language. He's speaking of fish and soil and seeds and kings who forgive their servants. It was beautiful to them. And he was telling them, these are like semi-trucks. Okay, they didn't, he didn't say that. You get it. These are like semi-trucks carrying the cargo of heaven's truth into your hearts. You won't get this from the Pharisees. They'll teach you their traditions or they'll keep you locked up so that they can still have power. They'll keep you locked up away from them. But they won't get right down in the dirt with you and give you the words by which you can understand heaven on earth. So you know what they did? They cherished his words. Because he was their hero. He was God's messenger. So they didn't do a little 15-minute devotional and live their lives. They were constantly repeating to themselves and one another the precious words of their master. 
See, once I got more delivered from the spirit of the age that made that stuff not interesting and I started to breathe in the real air of life, I started to realize, man, these words are awesome. It was the devil that was trying to make my, my brain like hard soil that it wouldn't penetrate. Or like having thorns to choke it out. Where it wouldn't be injured, it wouldn't captivate me. Do you realize there's grace teachers today that will explicitly and publicly say the words of Jesus are not relevant for Christians anymore? They're Old Testament. Yes, it's true. It's out there. We, if we want to abide in the vine, we should be the opposite. We should be obsessed with the red words. I know I have some friends, they're constantly quoting their dad. My dad always used to say, my dad always used to say, and they have all these maxims that you can, that you can really get practical wisdom from and, uh, and inspiration. It's amazing. And you can tell, well, our dad was very precious, a very important figure in our lives. He, he helped shape us. And so we're always quoting what he says. They're not trying to, it's just always there. We should be that way on steroids with Jesus. Remember the master said, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he just, these things ring true today with power. If we cherish his words, we cherish him. If, like my, some of my grace teacher friends who teach such horrible things, if they say that Jesus' words are no longer applicable because we shouldn't have to forgive someone to be forgiven because Jesus taught that, certainly that doesn't apply to us in the New Covenant. Well, if that's your attitude, as far as I'm concerned, if you're rejecting Jesus' words, you're rejecting him, I don't care what you say. You don't put your interpretation of Paul over Jesus. You put Jesus as the headwaters and let Paul speak in his light, not vice versa. I thank God for the Reformation, but it didn't make Paul the fourth person of the Trinity. Look, I love Paul. I have respect for him. Good night, I got my PhD in Paul. I study him. I'm not even a fraction of a fraction of the man he was. But he ain't Jesus. Jesus is king, he's God. And if he took the time to come and give us words, they should dominate our thinking. They should shape our brains. If people of Jesus' day couldn't even read or write, as many as 95%, the minimal amount was, was 85% of the people couldn't even read or write. They had to listen and pay attention. Words were precious to them. For us, we forget as soon as we go out. Sometimes It's like there's one of those windscreens, you know, where they keep the bugs away. As soon as we go out, the wind blows around. We go out. But in, in, that's why we have Gospels, because the people who could read and write were writing some of the things that he said, were memorizing them and talking them back and forth. And they found their way in the Holy Ghost into our Gospel. Praise God, it's time for us to cherish the words of Jesus. Make them quotable again. May this be our culture. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, but sit in this, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. Meditates day and night. Meditation in Hebrew means you're speaking it out loud. You're thinking it and you're saying it. Meditating day and night. I think tongues is a part of that, but also speaking the word. I mean, even what you know, even if you just saw it on a sign in a football game, God, 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Say that to yourself, speak it into your spirit. I mean, Jesus was saying those words. They carry, he says, spirit and life. I think if we have revival in the words of Jesus, we'll probably have revival. We'll learn what this abiding bit is about. One of the practical things we can do. Memorizing the words of Jesus will probably shape our brains into a Jesus brain. I heard the story of one brother. He's a powerful, intense man of God. Very, he's holy. There's power on his ministry. He's sacrificial. He's a wholesome man. He's strong in the Lord. But I heard his story. I didn't realize that when he was when he was younger in his earlier years, he was addicted to pornography, and he could not get freedom. And he gave himself to memorizing the words of Scripture. And he says, it changed my mind. It, changed, it, it reshaped me. And he was completely delivered from the problem. There was no hook. After a certain point, the words of Scripture took over. It's a whole different thing. He said it was very difficult at first, but it reshaped my brain. That's why he says, abide. We have to take action. But what we find, we're not working anything up. Don't, don't, don't. Come on, we're, we're, we're more mature than this. You're not earning anything. You're partnering with God, and that takes effort. It's like any love relationship. Once you're there, you're going to find out ain't no legalism about what I'm talking about. Trust me. Because you'll find endless oceans of grace as you and I abide. Okay. Just, okay, that was, took longer than I will on the other points. Really quickly. Jesus then says in verse 9, abide in my love. Another way we abide. Let me just give you a couple of quick points here, very quickly. Jesus compared our abiding in his love the way he abide, the way he abode, the way he abided in his father's love. At, at, the, at the root of that, he's talking about covenant loyalty. I love father and love in my Trinity culture, just like really in the social culture of Jesus' day. Love looks like loyalty. Love is loyalty. That's why he compared it to keeping his commandments. It's like, well, that doesn't seem loving. That seems legalistic. No, not in the Trinity culture. When you love someone, you're loyal to them. You do what they say if they're the father and you're the son. So Jesus says, you do the same thing with me. Abide in my love the way I abided in my father's love. Now, part of that is we have to understand the word love. It is feeling God's affection. There's nothing wrong with reminding yourself and feel the way God loves you and embraces you in Christ and treasures you as a human being. Let that wash over you. Remember the historical demonstration of God's love, that he died a horrible death for you. And also the Spirit in Romans 5 is poured out in our hearts the love of God so that we can feel and experience his love. So pray in the Spirit. Ask God to touch your heart with his love. Amen to all of that. Abide in his love constantly. As SJ used to say, bathe your mind in the love of God because the spirits in our atmosphere don't want you convinced that he loves you. But we have to abide in that love. To remind yourself of these things I listed very quickly. Let God's affections touch your affections. Remember the cross. Experience his feeling in the spirit. But remember also that love has a wholesome sense of death. Now, that could be taken the wrong way. So I know that I'm speaking with people at a certain place in their walks. And I know I'm keeping you a while, kind of. I'm almost done. 
but isn't it so exciting you hardly know the time's going by? Just say yes. Okay, so um, I'm almost done seriously. To have a sense of heavy obligation is not healthy, but to have a sense of covenantal obligation is extremely healthy. You know, I heard someone say, look, when you feel in debt to someone, you don't ever want to go even be with them. You're afraid to be with them. I'm like, what, what's your problem? If I owe somebody something, I'm drawn to go to them and say, thank you, and say, is there anything I could do with you? I feel, I mean, if it's a healthy arrangement like that. God is good. Paul used the language of being indebted to him. But his indebtedness was not something he couldn't handle or carry because he always felt, he, he felt oppressed by the tyrant. God's not a tyrant, he's a giving father. So when you feel in debt to him, it's called gratitude. But Paul still uses covenantal language when he speaks of gratitude as, the, I, I, I don't owe God in the sense that I can pay him back, but I'm so appreciative I live in a very scriptural, spiritual, wholesome way indebted to him. He says, we are under obligation, yet not to the flesh to fulfill the desires of the flesh. The obligation is to live life in the spirit. I owe him that fruit. Not to pay him back, that's already granted. But there's, in the sense of relationship, well, I at least owe it to him to give it my all. No? Yes. That's a part of love. Abide in my love. Remember how much I always loved and always love you. And let that stir your heart to live a life of grateful debt to me. Not, that's the new grateful. Not the grateful dead, grateful debt. I've had people who did owe me something. They didn't, be, they didn't want to be around me. And I reached out to them and said, look, I still, I still love you, but you said you're going to pay for that thing. You need to pay for it. You need to keep your word, but I'm, I'm not going to kill you. I mean, there's no shame. That's the way it is with God. So we don't pay him back in order to earn a place in his presence. He's granted us that by his blood, so we should rush there in gratitude. May the lamb receive the... the, the, the may the lamb receive... What, what's, I, can't, I can't finish it. I'm on the spot. The reward of his suffering. Thank you. That's love. Let's abide in it. And he says, keep my commands. Obedience is a part of the loyalty. I, I won't get into all that, uh, except to say... That when we are abiding, we will find him speaking. His words will give us direction that are in the scriptures. But he will also speak to us as the abiding God. When we take the time to abide, he will issue commands. And then you'll start seeing fruit. So he's telling us, you have to keep my commands. Abide in my commands. Keep my commands. That's the way you abide. All right, before I close, let me give you some practical ideas of things we can do to develop the habit of heart and behavior that will go beyond discipline into habit, beyond habit into a kind of addiction, the Jesus addiction, and then from addiction to second nature, life itself. You know what? One of the things is, if you just take a chunk of time, I would say instead of once a day, twice a day, like what Joshua was saying, and just pray in tongues. Take twice a day, because usually we won't do it near the end of the day, and to cut out a new time will help get the heart in, kind of off a routine that might not be inclined to abide. It might knock it into kind of an anytime attitude, like Amy would say. So I would say take 10 minutes at least and just dive into tongues fully. Like do it in a robust way. And with your mind, picture Jesus according to Revelation 1. Eyes on fire, face beaming, golden sash, 
Revelation 19, you can add some crowns. Revelation 4, the picture of God on the throne. Take some of those texts, focus your mind on them, and pray in tongues to that person. Take 10 minutes a day, twice a day, and see if that overflows into 15 each, and then begins to spill over into other areas. I didn't hear you, but amen, probably. 24 hours. Okay, that's good, but we're going to start with these little bookends. And, and just like you're training, everything, discipleship is training. If you're training for a race, or you're rehabbing something one day, or a football player is going to rehab a knee he can't even walk on, but next year he wants to play the game, it starts with little tiny steps, but by the time he's done, he's just he's running normally, like an athlete. So it's okay to start with these little steps, but we want to build. Another idea is that I, I put the, that YouTube um, instruction on worship, I, 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 I posted it on Facebook, it's on, my, it's on my YouTube channel that I made, it's got this one video on it, <laughs> if you can find it, uh, but it's on the Facebook King People page, oh, that's, a, that's hard to say. Um, where you, you read the text, you, you, you read a text in your worship time, you pull out one attribute of God, you come up with a bunch of different examples of it, and then you speak it back to him. This, concentrate, this concentration on his attributes. Now, I give you more details on that um, Facebook post, and I'll try to repost it so it's higher on the feed. You could look at that and just do that, and I would suggest twice a day instead of once. So you don't get the feeling it's out of the way. But it breaks into a time also where you wouldn't normally do it. So again, it starts to get us off the kilter of the world rhythm into the God rhythm. So concentrate on a, an attribute from the text and begin to speak it back to God. That's a big summary. I took like 10 minutes to give a little instruction online. Uh, another way is you know, get you your, uh, your computer, your, your earphones or whatever, your stereo and find some of the hymns online with their words and sing them twice a day for 10 minutes. In, let your soul be taught by some real lyrics that unfold the majesty of God, like crown him with many crowns, holy, holy, holy. Um, fairest Lord Jesus. Not that, and there's, there's plenty of new songs that are good too, you know, mix and match, but just make sure there's some of the old and the new there so that there's some depth and not just repetition. Repetition can actually be good, but you want to have the depth as well as the repetition. So just take min 10 minutes twice a day. Some of you are blessed with musicians in the house. That's what we do. And, and so just get it out and play it yourself. That, that's, if you have the, the ability to do that, then you should do that. But if you don't, then click the click. You'll find anything on, on YouTube in terms of the hymns, someone singing them. It's awesome. I mean, look, I was singing hymns even when I was young and into Petra. So it's, it's not just some old guy talking. I'm serious. Of course, I wasn't as extreme as Dr. Brown going from whatever, you know, Stairway to Heaven to make me a blessing. A little, but I went, from, uh, I went from Rush to the Imperials. I listened to the trumpet of Jesus. And one of the earliest, uh, not one of the earliest, but but back there at that time, I guess, I got this tape where a modern group did the hymns, and I was absolutely taken. So to this day, even through all these years of choruses and being into Petra, beat the system, you could be more than a conqueror. Some, some of those Petra songs are Bible studies, but anyway, um, they're good. I still will sing, when I go to the Lord, I'll still, it'll be crown, 
crown him with many crowns, and holy, holy, great is thy faithfulness. So twice a day, get some hymns out and worship. The, the point is, you do it at a time also when it's interrupted. So that, because if it's, if it's interrupted, it will get you off the kilter of a routine that's not conducive to abiding. And remember what Amy said up here? I mean, that was from the Lord. I didn't ask her to say that. That's another good idea. A different version of the same thing of what I'm saying. Uh, another, another few, another few um, suggestions really quick. Pray the word. And this takes some getting good at it. But let's say um, I'm praying verse 7. Just find a way to pray it back to the Lord. Just have your Bible in front of you, get in a room and pace. And I'd say do this twice a day. Because these kinds of exercises get you doing this in your heart other times. He says, if you, and this is random, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what, I read that and I say, Lord, I bless you because you are faithful. Thank you that you would give yourself to me the way this word describes. So right now I do abide in you. I do abide in you, Lord. Yes, I will abide and I do abide and I thank you that you abide in me. And right now, Lord, what is this? Ask whatever you wish. Lord, thank you that you answer my prayers. Right now I ask you that you will pour out your spirit on the house church. I pray that we be spiritually dynamic. I mean, just pray the word, man. Praise, worship, just let the word guide you. Read a passage of scripture and say, I'm going to pray this word through for 10 minutes. And if you're not that good at it, then keep trying. You will get good at it. It's something I like to do. I can, I can pray just about any verse. You can take me to a genealogy. I'll find a way to pray it. You'll be able to do it. You just keep getting good at it. Now, here's another exercise for you. Take time every day. You don't have to do all these things. These are just suggestions. Twice a day, take time where after you pray, you don't talk, you listen. Have a pad and pencil out or a, or a pen or your iPad and write, or whatever you use, write down what you're hearing. Even if you're not sure it's from the Lord, practice. Because developing a listening ear will help you to learn how to abide. But if you and I don't take the time to develop some habits of some kind, we won't spill over from habit into addiction, into second nature. And then, again, I had this written down, but I was going to suggest something like Amy said. Just give yourself some surprise moments. At least take the pot off the burner if that's what's going on, or if it's something safe that you can leave. You know, if you're in the middle of ironing, you can lift the iron off or whatever, but let the Holy Spirit give you some surprise moments. Sometimes you'll mess up. Maybe you shouldn't have done it right then. Uh, but, but, at least, again, it gets you off kilter enough to begin to, you know, to, to teach your heart to be off kilter in the Lord instead of being on kilter in the world. You get the idea. Well, we had so much good time of prayer today. We even prayed at the beginning of the message. I'm just going to dismiss you with a dismissing prayer. Such a love when the messages reach, they end with such a punch and climax. I'm getting a little lower and lower and lower and lower. And then I give you these prayers. It's like, okay, we're done. Okay, let's stand together. There's one thing I forgot to mention. I want to tell you, encourage you with this really quickly. With those practical suggestions that I gave you, I would suggest that you take one of them or your version of one of them. Just choose one and practice it twice a day for three weeks and see where that takes you. Don't try to do them all. Don't try to do two unless you feel you're supposed to. Just choose one or your version of one. Try it twice a day for three weeks and see if it broadens, expands, or whatever you know the Lord would have you do from there. Father, we thank you for your wonderful love. Oh, we pray with all of our hearts, God.
cause us not to be so much event-oriented, but to be life-oriented with your truth. Give us strength of heart to develop habits that are Holy Ghost. To remember these things and to encourage one another in them to develop this life of abiding. Jesus is King. May your people be blessed. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.